Hey legends, welcome to week 22 of the Virtus Performance Podcast. Before we get stuck into today's episode, I'd love for you guys to rate and review the podcast if you're really enjoying it. I'd love, like for you to share and subscribe uh, so you can keep getting hopefully these valuable and enjoyable lessons uh, from all of our different guests. Today on the podcast, I had the great man Jeremy Dooley. So Dools is someone who I met uh, when I was playing VFL footy at, at the Pies, uh, he was our rehab coordinator uh, for only a year. I thought it was a little bit longer as we discussed in the podcast, but I only spent a little bit of time with Dools, but his uh, his impact was lasting and he's someone who I really look up to and someone who is doing great things currently at the Reach Foundation, uh, which was a role that he left the Pies for, so obviously it was a big move moving up to Sydney and he talked about the reasons why and, and I guess what he's currently doing now. Enjoy. My personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day. I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. Dools, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So uh, thanks for coming down from Sydney purely to sit down and talk. Yeah, no, I couldn't, uh, couldn't say no to this. That makes me very happy. First question for you, just to get mm-hmm. the ball rolling. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, great question. Um, I think for me, it's the one consistent that I've had um, in all my professional career and all the different hats um, that I've worn is the chance to make an impact on people. Um, and I've been I've been really lucky that um, I've been able to do that and and help people do that, make an impact. So, awesome. yeah. How are you currently making an impact at the moment? What do you, what do you spend your time doing? Um, so at the moment, um, I, I work for a charity. I work for the Reach Foundation. Awesome. Um, and I've been involved with them in various capacities for most of my life now. And um, I train our facilitators. So I train the people that go out and run the workshops. Uh, so... In that, um, yeah, they go into schools, they go into businesses, and they get people emotionally connected. Uh, it's basically emotional intelligence that I teach people. That's cool. Um, you know, and yeah, it's under different guises. So sometimes it's framed up as a leadership workshop. Sometimes it's framed up as uh, peer dynamics. And while all those things are touched on, essentially, yeah. you keep peeling it all the way back at its core. It's self-awareness and emotional intelligence. Where do you think the general population go wrong with emotional intelligence or don't dive into learning about it? Because it's probably not something that me personally have really thought about until the last 12, 18 months. Mm. I think it's easy for people to get distracted now. Um, People have lost um, or forgotten the ability to have human interactions. It's really easy to be hyper-connected. Um, you know, smartphones are fantastic, but it also means that you take work with you yep. and you're always like checking the phone. You're always going to Facebook. I do it all the time. I have to really catch myself. Yeah. Um, so I think that's sort of, that stopped people from 
you know, having those conversations where people do connect on a human level. Yeah, and I think it's it's something that we're all kind of at the stage now, like 2017, we've got that data coming in daily mm. or minutely. It's all that, all that detail and it's figuring out, well, what are the ways we can become a little bit more mindful? And, and I, one of the girls I've just put on and she started during the week, um, she showed me an, a plug-in for Chrome, which is just like, it's, I think it's called News Feed Eradicator. So if you're on your laptop and you're on Facebook, it gets rid of that news feed and it just has a quote. So you, so you get your notifications and you can go in all your groups and everything, but there's no news feed. You don't, mm. get to, you don't get lost in all the crap. And I think it's finding little things like that. Absolutely. All those little life hacks are super important. Um, I think taking the time to have conversations with people is super important. One of the yeah. things that I really love to do uh, if I'm at dinner, um, especially with my girlfriend, is like turn the phone face down. Yeah. Um, just to be present. I think people aren't present anymore. Yeah. And what else do you do to be more present and be more mindful? Because I guess turning the phone face down is one mm. thing, turning it off is another, and, and leaving it home is kind of yeah, yeah. a bit, bit of an extreme, but no one does it. But yeah, ab- absolutely. And it's hard, you know, with, with work. You know, a big part of my job is communicating with guys who are late teens, early 20s, and the easiest way to communicate with them yeah. <laughs> if they're not in the office is via Facebook. Um, they're more likely to um, check a message on Facebook than they are to pick up the phone and answer a call or to check their emails. Um, so Facebook is a big part of my job um, before the actual work starts. Um, like I practice mindfulness, I meditate daily, um, and I make sure I take time where I have to be completely in the moment. Um, so for me, sometimes it's lifting weights. Yeah, you can't be thinking of something else <laughs> and trying to, you know, crack out 150 on a deadlift or you know, or whatever. If you're if you're not present, you're not going to make that lift, regardless yeah. of how heavy it is. Um, stuff like that. Like I do martial arts. That's been a big part of my life and. You have to be present. If you're not present, there's a very, very direct outcome um, and that's you're going to get hit in the face or you're yeah. going to get submitted <laughs> uh, depending on what style I'm training in. Um, and also study acting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly the same cool. as martial arts. Uh, if you're not present, everyone else in the room knows. Yeah. You might forget your lines. It's really, yeah, as soon as you drift mm. off, like it's, it's so obvious. Mm. And, you know, we, we see that in... We can probably get away with it in every other or most mm. other aspects of our life because there's so many other things going on that it's really easy to get distracted. And for the people that you're talking to to get distracted, and like I'm one that's like I suck at it. Someone will be talking to me, and we'll be sitting in front of a computer or front of, front of a laptop or front of a phone, and mm. a message will come up, and you kind of feel you, like that connection to that person kind of drifts away and you're sinking in the phone, and you're like, oh fuck, what did you say? Like, and then that's something I've been trying to mm. improve at because. I know there's a few people close to me that hate, hate when I do it and we all do it. So I think it's finding the things that allow you to switch off. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the more present you are in life, um, the more time then you have to be focused and to self-reflect and the more you're going to be able to understand yourself. Mm. It's only going to make the quality of your life better. Yeah. Because you'll know why you do certain things. Little sidebar for a second. Do you think social media and that ability to be connected is overall a positive or negative thing? I think overall it's a positive thing because it allow it does allow you to keep in touch with people that you may you know you may have met travelling on the other side of the world who you may not see again otherwise. 
And I think it's also you can find sources of inspiration um, from oh, yeah. social media. Um, I'm lucky I have a really tight circle and we're always sending each other different links for, for books or YouTube clips or podcasts and things that I would never have found off my own bat. And yep. so in that regard, social media is awesome. And, you know, I love a stupid meme. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's always good for a laugh. It can get a little bit distracting. There is a lot of white noise on it. But yep. I think on the whole... If you know when to have that balance and when to switch it on and when to switch it off, I think it's a positive. That's really cool. Growing up, and we'll change the, mm-hmm. the title a little bit, but growing up, did you always know that you wanted to make an impact? I think when I think back now and when I think to um, high school and what my goals were, um, I didn't really have a huge amount of goals. I wasn't really... Like I was just sort of following my nose a little bit and just whatever happened, happened. Um, Yeah, and I was really lucky. Um, I went to, it was in year 10, and um, I guess what started to lift the veil up for me and um, open my eyes, my mates were asked to go to the school leadership day. I went to school in a pretty shit area. Where'd you go up? Broadmeadows, Glenroy. Yeah, so from Glenroy, went to school in Broadmeadows. which isn't, yeah, not the best of areas. Uh, for me, it was normal, but yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, the greatest of areas. And my mates were asked to go to the school leadership day in year 10. Yeah. And I had the option of going, but I didn't want to go because it was the school leadership day. <laughs> like, surely it wasn't going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me at the time, like, there is going to be nothing in this for me. Um, and my mates went and they loved it. Yeah. And... I just hated that feeling on the way home from school that day. On the train home, they were all talking about this day and I wasn't there and I felt really left out and yeah. really excluded. I hated that feeling. Yeah. Because um, they had a genuinely good time. They weren't even being smart asses trying to rub it in my face. They genuinely had a good time. Yeah. And the next day, the coordinator came around and said, we have another leadership day. Fair and I just, up. Yeah, it literally, I think I nearly dislocated my shoulder. <laughs> I threw my arm up so fast. Yeah. Um, and it was not the school leadership day. It was um, from the Reach Foundation they were putting on a day. And I didn't know anything about it. My coordinator yeah. didn't know anything about it. Um, and to be fair, I wasn't super enthusiastic to, to go. Um, once my coordinator explained what it was like, it sounded so lame. <laughs> um, yeah. You still did it? Yeah. I, look, I went... Um, there's a couple of factors that made me go. I was on review at school. Um, so if I had another cross next to my name, I would have been asked to leave. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of put to me by one of the uh, girls who was going that if I didn't go, that she was going to tell the coordinator if I wagged the day. Yeah, okay. Um, so there was that. And I also knew there were going to be 400 people my age there. And so I was going to meet girls. <laughs> Get out of school, meet girls not get kicked out of school. I figured, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll get a couple of phone numbers or something. And, <laughs> and, I, and I rocked up there and it was in this massive, massive hall in Camberwell, which might as well have been another planet from Broadmeadows. Yeah. Um, different yeah, part of the world. <laughs> very different. Camberwell's, you know, very, um, a very upper class area in comparison. And, yeah. um, so we went there and, you know, the room was just filled with rows and rows and rows of chairs and, and um, I was being a smart ass and just not into it. And um, 
and Jim Steins, um, who was one of the Reach co-founders, was up on stage and and I was being a real smart ass and trying to derail what he was doing. And at the end of the day, he pulled me aside and he's like, what's your name? And I remember that feeling, you know, that feeling where it's like everything in your stomach just drops. Yeah, and like, the world oh, just gets shrinks out in. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. Um, he's like, what's your name? What school do you go to? And first I gave him a fake name. Oh no. Um, and then one of the guys from my school was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's not his name. And I gave him um, yeah, my real name. And a week later, sitting in class, like nothing happened for the first few days. Yep. So I, I forgot about it. And then the announcement goes over the PA speaker at school. Jeremy Dooley, can you please come to the principal's office? Oh, no. Heart just... Oh, it was, oh, it was worst. <laughs> like, you never got called to the principal's office. You'd go to the head of campus, yeah. never to the principal, unless you'd really messed up. And yeah. I remember sitting there, and I, I was probably waiting in the foyer for two minutes. It felt like two hours. I was freaking out. Still on review. I was trying to figure out what I'd done yeah. um, and how I was going to get so out of it. So I didn't click straight away? No. Nah. And I get in there and he's sitting at his desk and I sat, I sat down. He didn't say anything. He was just reading a, a letter um, and I could tell it had the Reach logo on it. I was like, oh no, what yeah. are, this is not <laughs> going to be good for me. Yeah. And he's like, so I've gotten a letter from the Reach Foundation and they said that you're an outstanding leader and possess huge leadership qualities and they want you to be part of their leadership program. <laughs> uh, I, like, yeah. I was speechless. Yeah. To what you expected? Not what I was expecting at all. Like, That's cool. It was, um, I was so tense. I didn't actually know how to react yeah. to him in the moment. Yeah. And, um, and I think from that point on, um, like I didn't really know why I was going there. I didn't really know the effect that it was having, but I know that the stuff that they were doing really struck a chord with me. And I couldn't really articulate why yeah. at, the, at the time. But in hindsight, it was because that was the first time in my life someone believed in me. Yeah. Um, and so that just opened up a whole world of possibilities. Yeah. It meant that I was able to you know, leave Glenroy in the Broadmeadows area um, and help other people. And like I don't even like to use the word help because yeah. that's not what I do and I don't make other people believe in themselves. Like, is empowerment more of what you do, what you I, I call think, it? I think what I do is I open the door for people yeah, and cool. some people look in um, and some people step in. Yeah, that's cool. I really, really like that. You open the door. Do you think, <clears throat> do you think Jimmy Stein's kind of got your name and just thought, you know what, we're going to challenge this kid to... So uh, yeah. it make a difference or do you think it's something else that happened that day or I think um, him and Paul Curry the other founder both yeah. liked that like I was honest I wasn't trying to impress um, anyone I was just being myself um, yeah. I didn't really um, really give a shit like if, if people weren't into it um, and I didn't and that included them like I didn't really give a shit yeah. um, but they really liked that and, and they and they saw saw something in me like I wasn't I wasn't shy to put my voice out there and to um and to yeah to either be the one in the spotlight but um like I also have, have a really strong sense of justice and um there was a point on the day where someone was getting picked on by some people from another school and I gave them a bit of a serve and they shut up pretty quickly yeah, um everyone's scared when you're from Broadmeadows <laughs> <laughs> 
You didn't have the same beard. <laughs> no, no, I, had, I had so much hair gel in back then. It was it was putrid. <laughs> there was insane. a lot of stuff going on above above the head. That's late. So from from that point, and I guess being on review to being I guess seen as a leader for the Reach Foundation, how did the rest of school through year eleven and twelve progress? Oh, I was still smart ass. Yeah. Um, I think. I didn't have a problem with authority as such, but I had a problem with disrespect. Um, and if people, whether that's teachers or students, um, were assholes for the sake of being assholes, yeah. I just didn't rate them. Yeah. So if teachers gave me the time of day and treated me like a, a person, like I would sit in their class, I would pay attention, I would do my work. Yeah, I'd but as soon as they did Yeah, as soon as they didn't, I would go absolutely the other way and try yeah. and derail. Um, I guess the big thing that happened was probably... Um, halfway through year 11 I remember first semester I was doing infotech at school and I hated it Um, and I made the switch to do drama um, second half and I remember one of the other guys in my class did the same thing and he because you had to get your teacher whose class you were leaving to sign the note to say that it was okay so so this guy was in the teacher's room to get the clearance to leave Infotech and he gave him this huge lecture about, you know, um, dramas for no hopers, like, you know, computers of the future and it's the, you know, it's the way the world's going to go. What are you going to do in drama? Like, you're just going to bludge and, you know, be nothing and yeah. gave him this huge lecture and he walked out and, like, he was clearly shell-shocked from the spray that he just copped. And he's like, oh, brace yourself, Jez. Like, teacher's going to give it to you. And I went in there, teacher grabbed a bit of paper, signed it, gave it back to me. <laughs> and I'm standing there, like, I was get ready. Yeah, 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 nothing. He's like, cool, get out. <laughs> um, and so there was a little bit of like, oh, cool. But then I went into drama and the teacher there, I think, um, like, a lot of people have those, like, one or two teachers that really yep. backs them. And um, I was lucky. I, I had two and she was one of them. And she really backed it's me. funny how often... and. Having done like twenty of these, twenty-ish of these so far, drama teachers come up like I think three or four mm. of them as being the that teacher. Mm. That's like and everyone like everyone's got one or two of those teachers. They yeah. believed in them. Drama, it must be. Yeah, must be it. But it's for no hopers though, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And <laughs> yeah. so, like she like genuinely backed me. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where. You know, in, at the start of year twelve, like I, I did drama again for um, VCE, and, yeah. um, and she came up to me and one of my really good mates, and she's like, "There's a competition um, in the comedy festival um, for high school age students. You yeah. guys should should enter it." And we're like, "Yeah, yeah all right." Awesome. Like, we we never really thought too much about things. Just like, "Oh, yeah, cool, yeah, we can do that." Yeah. Um, and so we went and we did it, and um, we ended up winning it, um, and. Like, that was a real game changer. Like, I remember rocking up to school the next day and every class I went into, people started clapping. And, um, yeah, that was, like, another... Like, that was just a moment where everything changed again and um, really, I guess, made me realise and reinforce the importance of having someone back you and and believe you because it makes you feel good and it makes you feel confident. Yeah. Yeah, well, the reason why most people succeed and achieve things is because they're confident in their ability to do so. Mm. And if you don't, you know, if you were never, I guess, backed in, you never would have done that comp, which never would have allowed mm. you to move forward and, and to challenge yourself. So that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. What did you do after school when you finished year 12? After school, um, so I, 
I finished school, I was 17 when I left school. I was one of the young guys yeah. in my year level. And um, we ended up going on tour. So That's um, cool. <laughs> the January, February um, after year 12, like I didn't do well in VCE yeah. uh, or anything like that. I had a really shit enter score, and, um, well, but it wasn't important for me at the time. Um, so yeah, we went on tour. We went to WA and we did a season at the Fringe Festival. and awesome. um, And then... After that, we did a season at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Um, what was that like? It was the best. Like, it was the best experience. It was we were playing at the Athenaeum Theatre on Collins Street, um, and it was just fun. Like you learned so much about yourself, and yeah. um, you know, like there were nights where we might have you know ten people in the room, but then there were nights where I remember the our last night, which is the last gig we ever did, um, but was standing room only like it was a fire hazard yeah. Yeah. but it was also one of those nights where you know when you're a comedian you had these nights every so often where you could just look at the audience and that'd be in tears and it was one of those nights That's and it was just like it was a really good way to to finish um and the people at the comedy festival loved us because we'd won the class clowns competition yeah like we had no business doing a show at the festival like <laughs> at 17 yeah um, and 18. Um, That's awesome. They allowed you that platform. Yeah, they, they allowed it and they, like, really helped us, like, find a good venue and stuff like that. And it was great. Like, made a lot of really good contacts and people who, like, I'll still bump into today who are, you yeah. know, still get the whole, you know, when are you going to do another show? Yeah. And, um, yeah, we might one day, but, yeah. How old are you now? 32. 32, so 15 years ago. Yeah. So you've waited 15, 15 years between the last show and maybe next one. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we've, we've had concepts and we've, we've got ideas. Um, I think um, it's just both of us getting to the place where it's right for both of us at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. What was the main thing that experience taught you, both at the Fringe and at the Comedy Festival? If you were to kind of nail down one or two key concepts, mm. what, did, what did you learn from it? I think just have a crack. Um, we didn't think too hard about yeah. it. It's, so it's the be, best part. Yeah, it would have been really easy to be like, like I'm 17, Mars was 18. Surely, like, we can't do this. Yeah. But that never even entered our mind. Cool. Um, we just went and did it. And we did gigs in some shitholes. <laughs> we did a gig in a bikey pub where, you know, in some random place just outside of Perth and it was a dead crowd and you know the guy who was emceeing hated us because we were kids from Victoria and he was real parochial WA <laughs> but um we just went and we were headlining don't know how but we were and we're just like stuff it let's just go on and, and give it a crack so and, and, and that's and that's just how we did it and it's like okay cool that's something we want to do let's just chase it that's awesome yeah that's been something that I've always just so it's always been a, something yeah. you've followed, just have a crack. Yeah, it's like, oh, I want to do that. Cool, I'm going to try and do it. Yeah, and I think that's important because so many people kind of want to do those things and want to make that leap to experience something mm. or try something, but they never do mm. for like fear or lack of confidence or whatever it may be. Yeah. Would you would you come back to say that that driving teacher having like backing you in would be the main thing that kind of got you started on that absolutely that was the snowflake that started that avalanche That's um, cool. and you know she was just had supreme belief in me and Mars who I was yep. doing the comedy with and um, she was a great mentor for us that's cool what, uh, what happened uh, pardon me what did you do after that did you roll into study or 
No, after that, um, I worked for the Starlight Foundation. Um, and I was Captain Starlight. Captain Starlight. So and it was great fun. I worked at the children's hospital, um, and my whole job was to just make um, kids and um, and their families um, just laugh and make their experience okay. A little bit less sucky. Yeah, um, and it was great. Um, it was intense. Mm. Um, I don't think I've ever been to as many funerals in my life as I did in that yeah. you know couple of years that I was working there. Um, but it was such a great experience and, you know, I felt really privileged that I got the chance to, you know, to be Captain Starlight and to yeah. wear a silver cape to work and to, <laughs> yeah, it's um, cool. you know, have a good laugh. And then it, it's really funny now in a, in a sort of funny how the world works type scenario, the guy that I did comedy with is now Captain Starlight. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> all these years later. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really funny how that's worked out. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so I, so I did that, and um, I was still doing some stuff with Reach, and um, and that was basically my whole life was sort of I'd either go to a high school and be running a Reach workshop, or I'd be at the hospital and um, you know performing magic tricks and just generally being really silly. That's yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That's cool. How did you, I guess, get into the training and strength conditioning sphere? Because that's how I met you. Mm. I met you at, at Pies when you were rehab. Yeah, or notice. So, how did how did you go from I guess that part of the world to I guess mm. a very different part of the world? Um, so, martial arts has always been a, a huge part of my life. I started yeah. training um, in karate in nineteen ninety five when I was in grade five, um, and just loved it um, and took to it really quickly and um, and and. Yeah, did pretty well at it. Um, yeah. And it got to the point where sort of about 2007 and eight, I just sort of was thinking about how to that point I'd spent all my professional career uh, working with other people to chase their dreams and to, um, and to really hustle and, and go for things. And I thought it was about time where I did the same thing. Yeah, cool. Um, you know, because role modeling is important and uh, – I felt like I hadn't done that for a little while yet, um, so I quit my jobs. Um, I was working for the Foundation for Young Australians at the time and quit my job and um, bought a one-way ticket and moved overseas. And Some whereabouts? Uh, so first, I actually went to Thailand and trained at a kickboxing camp for three months. Yeah, cool. Um, which was incredible and you learn so much with such a narrow focus. You're training two sessions a day, six days a week, um, and that's all you think about. It, literally, that's all you think about. You get to the point where you're in bed, half asleep, throwing kicks, <laughs> like subtly, like making yeah. real jerky, evasive just movements. Just got one thing you're focusing on. And it was fantastic. And then from there, I went over to the States and um, was living uh, in a suburb of Los Angeles and awesome. was training yeah, twice a day and, and then competing and um Loved it, and then when I came back, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do for work. And uh, a family friend owned a, a PT studio, and so like, can you come in and do some kickboxing and some boxing classes? And and did that, and really enjoyed it. And then a couple of people were like, oh, can you just do some general PT work? Yeah. So I got my qualification um, as a PT just to serve three and four. And yeah. One of the guys I trained. Um, was the board man, um, so the guy in the coach's box who moves the magnets around um, <laughs> at Coburg in the VFL, yep. and 
he said, oh, we need another person. Um, would, would you be interested in um, joining our fitness staff? And there you go. called up the head of fitness there and started the next week and thought to myself, oh, I should probably get a bit more qualified in this. <laughs> so then I went to uni and, uh, yeah, next minute I uh, got a sports science degree. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Where'd you go to uni? Uh, just Vic Uni. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. What was it? <clears throat> I guess you've kind of gone in a big circle around how a normal sports science student mm. and how like definitely I went through it and most of our interns will mm. go through it. They just kind of go, well, yeah, I love sport. Let's go straight into it. But mm. you've had this whole raft of experiences before doing that. Mm. How do you think that helped you, I guess, dive into the sports science degree and then carry on from that? I think because I was a little bit older um, starting, you know, I was in my mid-20s. Um, when I started that degree and you know I was lucky the whole way through the degree I was working at the very least in the VFL Um, and you know I was just able to connect with people Um, and for me like I've never been super like I I know the science and I and I get it and can talk it but it was never the focus for me in my dealings with always applying yeah it was about how do I connect with this person um, and it was not how do I make this athlete do X, Y, Z. It was about yeah. how do I connect to the person. And that's always been my focus. I remember um, when I was having my conversations with Collingwood before accepting the role there, it was um, I asked them, what's your philosophy? Um, because I wanted to questions. hear them say it was about the person, not about the athlete. And that's been always been the thing that's driven me in strength and conditioning. They obviously gave you the right answer because you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was cool. Um, and, but yeah, that's always been my philosophy in, in strength and conditioning, in, in any role. But yeah. I think especially in strength and conditioning and sports science, it's really easy to get caught up in the science and the, well, the, and the numbers. Of and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what's, what's theoretical yeah. doesn't really matter if, if people don't get buy-in anyone can create a program um they're not always going to be good but anyone can write up a program um but if the athlete isn't going to buy in and make that human connection with you and then like run through walls for you it doesn't really matter yeah that's really cool what were the what were your kind of i guess go-tos in in gaining someone's respect and trust and building a rapport i think it's one of those words that's used too Mm. much but building rapport and getting to know someone was it that genuine want to know them yeah like I I genuinely was interested um and I didn't pretend um and I think the the big thing that's always held me instead is I'd never talk about footy with like when I was working in a footy club it didn't matter who you were I'd never talk about footy straight away because it's Um, the last thing like as a player it's the last thing I want to talk about exactly um so that was my thing. I wanted to connect as a person first. Yeah. And then all that stuff would come and follow that. Awesome. When did you finish your, uh, your sports science degree? Would have been 2015. Yeah, awesome. So pretty recent. Yeah, I, I did it part-time. Yeah. How long did it take you? Uh, four or five years. You think, that, you think that was a benefit rather than just pumping it out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, like... Yeah, you because know, I was working in the field, I could genuinely apply it. Yeah. Um, and also, too, it meant that I could go back to uni with a bit more of a critical lens on things. Um, like, uni's great, and I strongly recommend doing the further ed- education. 
but a lot of the scenarios they sort of go through a perfect world and yeah you don't live in the perfect world you don't have access to some of the things that they talk about even at AFL <laughs> yeah. even you know at some of the gyms I went to in LA where you know Exos yeah. LA Galaxy like world class athletes huge, training there yeah, yeah huge you know financial backing behind them they still don't have access to things so um, I think it gave me that good awareness of you know what's real and what's not um, mm, yeah. yeah you see a lot of young guys who go straight from high school straight to uni and then try and get an internship without yeah. the experience and they struggle because <laughs> yeah. they don't know how to connect with people and they only know what uni's taught and them and they know about. the science yeah that's kind of something that we I guess struggle with with our like we have an internship mm. program so every every three months we get a new, a new bunch of interns and it's almost like they're progressively as a collective there's some amazing interns mm. we get coming through but as a collective they're progressively becoming less and less experienced because they're they finish school they get shoved into a sports science mm. degree they all work stacking shells or do something doing something like that while they're at uni mm. and go oh no I'll start coaching when I finish and that ability for like for you and like I kind of went through the same thing unintentionally because I did my, my Cert 3 and 4 first mm. and I was playing footy at a sub-elite level. So I was able to see all that th- all that, and apply it on myself and all my clients while I was PTing while I was at uni. So you get that ability to experience it but then to just like try things mm. and, and, and realise that, yeah, no, we don't have a $20,000 force play. We don't have, you know, we don't have a walk bike. We, all we've got is, you know, two legs and a couple of barbells and, and yeah. to make the best from that and to be resourceful and, and to figure out what we can use mm. I think that's really important when I was at Coburg um, our first two seasons there or my first two seasons there yeah. for the whole pre-season we didn't have access to a gym or to our own ground Yeah, because uh, the cricket club used it so everything we did was either body weight or we write programming and just hope that the players would do it in their Outside, own gyms yeah, yeah. which they probably didn't no exactly <laughs> yeah there was a lot of bicep curls being done and and, and bench and that's probably about it yeah plow, plow. yeah yeah it's uh, aesthetics over function I guess exactly um, and uh, yeah that, that ability to be resourceful and, and one of the I can't remember who it was one of my mentors at uni were talking about something along, along these lines and I definitely didn't understand it as well back then but he said the best resource you ever have is your resourcefulness to be able to just make make it work mm. regardless of what you're doing from Coburg is that when you went to Pies was that, no, the, from, was that a step from Coburg um, oh, I was also at Melbourne Storm uh, uh, nice. I did an internship there um, what year maybe 2010 or 11 maybe okay. 12 okay. Um, I did my work experience at Melbourne Storm but that was 27, 2007 so yeah, that, was, yeah. that was a while before you yeah, it would have been a good few years. And so I was there while I was at Coburg. Yeah. Um, so I'd do Storm in the morning, Coburg at night, um, uni and work throughout the day. Um, and then I, when the alignment between Coburg and Richmond split, um, I was asked to go along to Richmond. Yeah. Um, and so I jumped at that. Um, and was there for a couple of years. Richmond supporter? Always been a Richmond supporter. Um, yeah. And that was great being able to rock up to Punt Road and it's pretty know, cool. see Maddie Richardson walk, <laughs> walk past me. And yeah. the first number on my back was number three for Dale Waitman and he worked at the club and um, that was pretty cool. And yeah, I, I loved it. And, um, you know, one of my family friends was at the club, was playing at the time. So that was cool. And 
you know, between quarters at a VFL game, I'd always see like different relatives there because they were going to support him. And yeah. um, so it was good. I, I really loved it and, um, you know, made a lot of really good friendships there. It was great. Um, and then I just had an opportunity to go to Oakley Chargers um, and to head up the strength and conditioning there and to be the fitness boss. And also I had a, a bit of a mandate to... Um, change the culture a little bit and make the players a bit more accountable so back to all the stuff that you I guess would have done with the Reach Foundation and Starlight Foundation yeah to meet like meet people as a person rather mm. than as a coach and it was it was really interesting at Oakley because you have this weird dynamic there where you have a huge group of players yeah. half of them are from elite private schools half of them are from public schools yeah. and just the clashes that happened like not only that, but then because the private school boys all played sport against each other on weekends yep. for their schools, there was always little tensions there and rivalries. So being able to bring them together was was huge. And um, like, unfortunately, I wasn't there for very long, but um, that experience there like was huge for me, and I really loved being there. And um, yeah, there was a saying at the club like, "Once a charger, always a charger," and I was there for five minutes, yep. and you know, I still back the guys there like that's hugely cool. yeah that's um, nice. and then yeah and then Collingwood came calling and went over there and the rest is history yeah <laughs> yeah that's really cool with I asked you this question before and I, I really liked your answer with being a Richmond supporter and then spending mm. a couple of years at Richmond how did it change your perception of one the club but two being a supporter because mm. my time at Pies is completely changed the mm. way I look at footy and the way I look at the club and the way I look at I guess being a diehard supporter yeah yeah I think one of the big things um, is going to a game while especially whilst working there yeah. um, going to a game where I wasn't working watching the AFL guys play you wouldn't hear anything out of me I'd just sit there arms folded wouldn't say a word <laughs> wouldn't cheer I'd just be sitting there watching and I'd be watching with a really different lens on because yeah. I knew the game plan intimately I knew who was where in the game plan and why they needed to be in certain places so yeah. it made it hard to be a supporter also then could see why they hadn't been successful for quite a while yeah. um, you know culturally um, it wasn't super strong um, the players loved the coach there, like genuinely loved Hardwick, and he's he's a ripper. The game plan probably wasn't suited to the players, and um, you know compare that to Collingwood, where it's probably not the same amount of love for the coach, and the game plan's not very good. Um, so yeah, I think um, it definitely changed how I supported the club. Um, yeah, and then even when I like went to Collingwood, like I still didn't really pay a huge amount of attention to Richmond then because my yeah. focus was on was on Collingwood. Yeah. So I'd watch the you know, I'd be at the VFL games and I'd be at whatever AFL games I was required to be at. And, and then you'd see the scores later on, you'd be like, oh cool. Yeah. And you'd move on. Yeah, exactly. I probably paid paid more attention to Oakley Chargers results than Richmond. That's that's yeah. really interesting. And yeah. Like that's something that I've when people ask you, like, do you still follow it as much? I'm, mm. Like, I say no, but it's hard to articulate. Mm. And I think that's, you're spot on. When you understand, I guess, almost intimately how the inner sanctum works, you start to realize that, you know, it's just another group of people trying, yeah. to, trying to do things and you take them off that pedestal. Absolutely. You realize the players are human beings and that while they might be a super skilled and talented player, you still realize that they're just, just exactly yeah. the same. Um, it's like going to 
a magic show and you learn all the tricks, <laughs> you don't watch it the same yeah, way. Yeah, that's a really cool analogy. That's why. Yeah. That's really interesting. When so, what was your what was your big takeout from Collingwood? How long were you there for? Was it two, uh, three, two years? Yeah, just sort of. Actually, wasn't as long as, as you'd think it was. Um, it was probably only one year was I was there. Um, but it's actually for me because a lot of people are like, "Oh, you were there for a couple of years." Like that for me actually makes me feel really good. So it feels like a couple. Of it years, feels yeah. like I made a, a big impact there. Um, you definitely did from a player's point of view. And, and I think for me, my big learning and takeaway um, was just the power of connection there, mm-hmm. um, especially that that first season. Um, you know, with taps and just how connected the group was to each yeah. other and there was genuine care for the person. Um, and that was not just players, that was players and footy department and volunteers. Like, everyone was really close. Yeah. Um, and genuinely gave a shit about each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think you can tell when clubs do that and when clubs don't do that. The clubs yeah. that do that generally are going to be more successful. Um, oh, 100%, yeah. And the clubs that don't, um, you know, if they're super talented, they might get to a certain point, but they're never going to get over that hurdle. Mm. And that's something that I start, like I noticed from like my first year, like there was like two, you know, for lack of a better term, crisis meetings between the AFL mm. guys and the VFL guys because there's no, there was no cohesiveness. Mm. It was just them and us. <clears throat> and then when Taps jumped in as coach my second year, it was just every year built on top of it mm. last year and you were able to get to a point where, like I was, when I first wanted to play VFL, it was just I want to play a game. Mm. And then after the first year when I played a few games, I was just like, well, I want to, you know, I want to play three years. That's my, three years is my thing. And then I went three years and I'm just like, no, nah, I'm not leaving. We're building something. Mm. And you really felt that amongst the group because everyone genuinely cared about each mm. other. When it was like, whether it was Flop or Gaddy or... Mm all the trainers or all the players like we had that really cool core group that stayed around mm. for a, a bunch because we genuinely cared about each yeah. other and we genuinely wanted to succeed together which yeah. I thought, which doesn't happen very often no and that's something we've been lucky enough to have it our local club and we've you know been pretty mm. successful winning seven out of eight flags mm. like that doesn't that that level of success doesn't happen by accident no not at all mm. i think um when I had my initial conversations about coming across to Collingwood. Luke Gaddy, who was football manager at the time there, really strongly emphasised um, how much having good vibes was important yeah. and building on those good vibes. And um, I guess you know, a couple of things that I then was able to implement, which I feel like helped add to that was, you know, the stories or the jokes at the end of the warm up, yeah. um, and then the appreciations um, before weights. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they were just small things, but the little things can have a huge effect. Yeah, that's that's really a way to look at it. Mm. Tell, talk to me about the appreciation because that's something that as soon as we did that the first night, I think our, our next meeting at work, mm. I, I applied it and we just kind of brought it back, but it's been mm. something that's made a big difference to us and our team. Talk to us, talk everyone through that. It's really easy in a, in a workplace, in any workplace, uh, to see the person for you know, to use a footy context, their jump up or their position yep. uh, in a business context as just their email signature or the person at the other end of a Skype meeting um, in a gym. And, you know, your gym's a little bit different. Your gym's more community-based. You guys are a team. But in some gyms, it's the other PT is a competitor. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, at a gym where it is community-based, 
it's still, you don't have that super strong connection there and you might be able to say, okay, that person, like their programming is awesome um, and they're doing really well. Um, but the appreciations was about taking that beyond that and actually acknowledging them for the person that they are and not the job that they do. Yeah. Um, and so at Collingwood, we, yeah, before the wait session, um, it started off just two people had to pick out another two people um, and say what they appreciated about them. And it wasn't allowed to be about footy. It had to be about the person. Yeah. And then, you know, those two people who got the acknowledgement that week, they were the ones that kicked it off the next week. And then it just sort of went that way. And it was five minutes, huge it's, effect. It's, it's, yeah. It, and back to that, little things make a big effect. That mm. just added to that culture that we built and really made it, you know, you think because as soon as someone starts talking about things like that, you think, "What do I appreciate about these people?" Mm. And you start to kind of like double down on all of that, and it just fosters that positive environment. Absolutely, I remember when, um, and I won't name them, but when one of the guys acknowledged one of the department staff for really supporting him and the emotion yeah. that like came up then. Um, and I remember looking around the room, I sort of detached myself from that moment and looked around the room and everyone was just like there and super present and yep. the vibe and the closeness yep. after that was massive, mm-hmm. massive. Yeah. But in that moment, the guy who was delivering the acknowledgement, um, yeah, he made it okay for, for people to really be there and to be included. Yeah. yeah, and he was just talking directly to that person, but yeah. it was... It's almost like he was talking for everyone else. Exactly. And like for me, I felt really privileged to be in the room at that moment. Mm, that's really cool. When So moving on from Pies, you moved up to Sydney, picked up and shot, shot north. Why'd you do that? Um, I don't think I've told this story to any of the guys at, um, at Collingwood. Um, so at the time... Um, when I was there at the Pies, I was also doing um, just some general PT work in the city. Yeah. And it was a Friday afternoon, mid, mid-January, and um, I'd just been um, – I was just about to finish up and was with a client and um, she'd had some hammy issues. So we're going through the difference between stretching out your hammies for, in a muscular sense but then a neural sense. And one of the floor um, staff, like the floor managers, like, oh, can you come out the front? Like, need a bit of a hand. Um, like, oh, you're cool. Like, I assumed he meant I need a hand carrying some weights into the gym or yeah. something like that. Um, I was like, you know, is everything sweet? Like, you know, how heavy is he? He's like, oh, it's a first aid situation. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And finished with my client, you know, teed up the time for the next session and I walked out the front and I walked out onto Burke Street and someone had just driven up the footpath and hit a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was, like, I could never properly articulate what it was like. It yeah. was this weird, like, eerie, like, it was silent. It was peak hour in the middle of the day, lunch rush. Yeah. But it was silent. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were... Like I looked up on the other side of the road, everyone was standing there like jaws open, all phones out. Um, no one knew if it was a terrorist attack or if it was just some yeah. lunatic. And um, so I had to 
you know, help with first aid. Like I was one of the first responders. The police oh, yeah. hadn't been there yeah. at that point. And then they rocked up and because they didn't know if it was a terrorist attack. They didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, so they were there full gear, AK-47 type things. Yeah, um, Looking pretty hardcore, but I was, you know, I'd worked in hospitals, so blood wasn't a huge issue as confronting as it was, but it was like, okay, so had to just go into feel let's let's help. try and do something here yeah. um you didn't know if you could help you didn't know how you could help a lot of them um you know one of the guys uh in my team the guy who actually asked me for help um you know he just had a newborn baby and we were near you know, this iconic photo of a pram knocked over and that was right near us and he oh, was yeah. just like i said mate you go inside like yeah. you just have a glass of water, um, bring all the supplies to the door, you stay inside. And, and so it was just like, just trying to help. Um, and everyone was working together. No one really knew what, what the hell to do or what was going on. And yeah. um, I remember that day, um, I had this offer on the table from Reach and I just thought to myself, if I had walked out the door and been hit by that car, would I have been happy with my life and what I was doing at that point? The answer was no. So I took the job. Cool. Um, because the job, like I knew I could make a bigger impact faster for people. Yeah. Um, like I loved working in the gym. I loved working at Collingwood when I started in strength and conditioning. That was my goal was to work at Collingwood. Yeah. Um, because Collingwood's the biggest club, the most well-resourced. I thought to myself, All right, That's I'm just going to end up at Collingwood. Um yeah, and I, I was working at a really good gym in the city with really good people, really enjoying it. It was in a really good place. Um, but in that moment, I realised I could do a lot more. So I took the job and yeah. I remember telling, telling Dean, my boss, um, at Collingwood the next week, like, um, I'm going to be leaving soon. And I think he was about to cry as we walked <laughs> out onto the field. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a hard decision. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, for the right reasons. But a really easy decision <laughs> yeah. in in a lot of ways too. And um, yeah, so I moved up to Sydney and um, and I'm back working for the Reach Foundation, yeah. which um, gone full circle. Yeah, I didn't think I'd be back in a, you know, the last few years I'd done the odd thing here or there for them um, in more of a, you know, break glass in case of emergency type situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been cool to go up there and be able to make an impact and yeah. Yeah, just help make an impact not only within reach but also outside of it. That's amazing. Do you think year 10 you went, at that day would have thought that 15 years or 16, 17 years later you'd be working for that company? No, in look, such year, a year 10 role? me, um, I think, yeah, there's no way I would have been able to look down the track and, um, and seen all this sort of stuff. Like I probably wouldn't have thought I would have even left the Glenroy Broadmeadows area. Um, yeah. A lot of people didn't. A lot of my friends still live there, which which is fine because it works for them. But yeah. um, I think for me, it's it's like I probably you know like I would have had a job. Um, like I would probably be married, probably have kids, but also probably um, have a midlife crisis in my forties. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and just follow that type of path. Um, and you know, I think everything happens how it's supposed to happen. And, um, for me, like I was meant to be there that day and, you know, Jim Steins and Paul Curry were meant to see something, um, in me. And it's amazing. Yeah. Just, I've just been really lucky and, and privileged and honored. Yeah. That's cool. That you've got that gratitude around well, everything I, that has happened because mm. it's so many people kind of, 
you know, whether it's turn their nose up or get get angry at things that happen. But and I'm I'm a big one, and like if anyone that listens to the podcast was would understand me fighting with the things that things that happen for a reason, kind of kind of mm. idea. But it does. You, mm. you do the right things, and things kind of end up always end up working out yeah. the the right way. I think like I've I've had in my life every reason to not be who I am today. Um, you know, there's been a lot of hurdles from day dot. Yeah. Um, but I've also been able to choose like how I respond to things um, versus how I react to things. Yeah. Um, it's really easy to react and to just jump at the first thing, but it's a little bit harder sometimes to respond. And I've just been really lucky that that whole idea of react versus respond was drilled into me pretty young. Yeah. That's really interesting. If it's usually one of my last questions, but if you could give ten, year ten version of yourself some advice, what would it be? I wouldn't say anything. Um, I'd probably just like I'd probably just say something along the lines of just keep doing what you're doing because it'll all be okay. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't try and handle any situation differently. Um, because the mistakes that I've made and the things that I've done have brought me to this point now. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think life's about having experiences and learning from them, whether they're good experience or bad experiences. Yeah. If you don't learn from them, then it's a wasted experience. And, yeah. um, you know, my, my jujitsu coach would always say, you got to tap out 10,000 times to get your black belt. And I've tapped out a lot of times <laughs> yeah. in my life and, yeah. but you, you, you keep learning. Um, and, so my yeah my advice to year 10 me would just be keep doing what you're doing because you know different things would happen which would expand my mind and um, broaden my horizons and checking your checking your ego to a point where you can tap out when you need to yeah exactly it's okay like, to tap out as long as you amazing metaphor for life mm. and everything that happens mm. yeah, that's crazy with <clears throat> so with your your job now and your role now what's it like I guess leading the leaders that teach so many different people mm. and that run those workshops it's cool. Like it's it, it was tough at the start because I was so used to being the one who ran the workshops, and yep. um, but I get a lot of fulfilment from um, just imparting my knowledge and experiences onto the guys who are doing it now, um, and they're better than me. Like <laughs> there, there's so many more ideas and concepts and inspiration um, that they can access at a lot faster rate than I did when I was doing that full time. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm just really lucky that I work with a really epic group of people. Um, and they're, and the guys in, um, in reach, especially in New South Wales, like they're superstars and you know, they can be anything that they want to be. And I'm really lucky that at the moment, what they want to be is working at reach. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you're just kind of tapping in and figuring out how you can yeah um, make them better. You know, at the moment, so um, like uh, technically in my title, the word manage is there, but I don't do any managing whatsoever. Um, my thing is to give them the tools and give them some ideas. And if they choose to go with those ideas, great. If it works for them, if they're like, oh, I don't know about that, Jez, I'll try this one instead. Let them do that's them. fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, because I'm not trying to make them into me because that's stupid. Um, like I'm me, they're not me. So it's. How can I help them, I guess, open the door to be the best version of them? Um, so sometimes it's a, I'll give them a book. Sometimes I'll um, just sit down and have a chat with them. And, you know, sometimes I'll give them, you know, different feedback points on how they run a workshop. But ultimately, 
I guess my philosophy is to make them feel really good about themselves because if yep. they're feeling confident, they're going to do better work. How do you how do you find that? Like, what tactics you use to find those? Find what I guess way to approach each different individual. Is it just knowing that person really well, or is it just having this toolbox full of tools of things that you can you can apply? I'm lucky that I do have the toolbox, but the actual toolbox where all those tools sit in is that's relationships and connection. And yeah. um, for me, you know, it's the same as working in footy with the players. It's all about building connection with them first because um, then I will get a bit, bit of an idea on how they work and how they like to go about things and what's going to fill them with confidence and what's going to deflate them. Um, and then it's a progression from there. Um, so for me, it always comes down to building connection. Yeah. What are the key concepts you guys teach both you teaching your facilitators, but then them teaching, you know, their workshops? Um, that's probably a big one is um, connection and self-awareness. Um, you know, the more you understand yourself and why you do things and, um, you know, the effect that that can have in that trickle-down effect in all other areas of your life. So we do a lot of stuff around that. We do a lot of stuff around uh, self-esteem and, and confidence and peer group dynamics, especially in the school um, and high school settings. Um, you know, peer group dynamics are huge. Um, and you know, positive relationships and um, and connection pieces are, are massive in that sense. Um, but again, it, it's all connection and it's all um, you know based and steeped in storytelling. Um, everything we do is underpinned um, by the hero's journey. Um, yeah. So you know, Joseph Campbell, um, yeah, his work everything we do is underpinned by that process and that arc. That's really cool. So everything everything that we do, everything that I do is about, you know, how can I get someone to go into the cave and slay the dragon that they fear the most to then yeah. come out of that cave with all of the knowledge to then live a better life and then go and slay another dragon. And make the world a better place. Yeah. Awesome. And it's not, and yeah, it's making the world a better place, but it always starts with that one person. So it's making their world a better place, yeah, and making the world inside their head a better place, and making themselves the better place, yeah, so then they can go forward and impact. Yeah, well, I think then when you when you look after like your own backyard, and you've got all that sort of it allows you to go out and help other people mm. look after theirs. Yeah, which absolutely, is the most important thing. And it's something that like I like how you don't like using the term manager because mm. as a a leader of people, mm. I kind of find try and find that those levels of improvement and everything that I've learned over the last eighteen months has come back to looking after myself first mm. and making sure that I clean up after myself or do those little things and then when I'm I'm not being hypocritical when I'm asking my staff mm. to do the same thing. Yeah. And I hold myself to those high standards and yes I'm gonna fuck up but it's a matter of picking myself up and dusting myself off and doing better the next time but if I can hold myself to a higher standard and be that role model, then they're going to want to follow. Absolutely. And they're going to be, want to be leaders in their own right. And then when, because you do that and because you role model, when you do fuck up, it also then shows that you're a human being as well. And because you've been humanized to your staff and to your team, they're going to get around you a lot more. Yeah. Because, you know, you've been leading. Leaders make leaders. And you can either be a manager or you can be a leader and you're absolutely a leader. Two and, different things, Yeah. yeah. And it shows, yeah. That's cool. What is that kind of your if you're when you're teaching team dynamics, and this is something that 
obviously really interests me having a team but also being involved in football teams mm. and is that your key concept for team dynamics or are there other things that you touch on as well for me yeah it starts with connection and as soon as that level of trust has been established then you can build on other yeah. things and then you can start to do you know your feedback and um and what have you and um and different things within the team because there's you know you have on a footy team you have 18 guys on the field but then within there you have your backs you have your mids you have your forwards so there's the mini teams within there so um but it all starts with the bigger group first and you have to establish a point where there's that trust and respect across all lines because if you really respect that person you'll go for that hardball get that you're packing your dax for <laughs> because you give a shit about yeah. that person yeah. um, you know, and you want them to succeed so for me and that's the segue there for me it's connection and it's like how can you make the person next to you the hero because mm. um, if everyone has that mindset then you know and the quote used to be um in the corridors of the Holden Centre, um, near the kitchen is a rising tide, lifts all ships. Um, so if you keep making the person next to you better, yep. everyone lifts. Everyone lifts, yeah. Yeah. As, soon, yeah. as soon as you get your kicks or your mm. enjoyment out of knocking other people down, then it's just mm. like, yeah, it's just downhill from mm. there. Because then no one, no one wins and you don't win because you're not getting the people up around you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and sex, success is so much better when shared. Like that's one of the, one of our non-negotiables for work. It's just that, if we're all successful, um, then everyone wins and, and all our clients win and all our, mm. our whole community wins. But if one of us is successful and kind of stands all over everyone else, then no one wins. Mm. And it's just a shitty environment to be in. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, you know, when I was at the Pies with our intern there, Victor, I put like what I mean. one of my things was to put so much work into him so that he would be able to succeed and yeah. especially knowing like that I could leave and he would still succeed with, like without me like okay maybe like try this approach with this player and yep. you know have a conversation relax like you know trying to fill him with confidence so that he could then step forward and be really good he's smarter than me he was smarter <laughs> than me when he started yeah. um, it was just about making him feel confident you sharing your experiences with him to allow him to come exactly. into his own yeah yeah, um, yeah and, and that's part of it is you know it's that sharing of experiences it's being able to tell your stories and to be really open and honest about who you are because then it gives the other person permission to do the same and then you form a connection. Yeah, that's, a, that's really cool. I've got, a, I've got a bunch of questions to finish this off. Mm-hmm. And on that topic, why do you think mentors are so important and who are yours? Um, mentors are important because they're a soundboard um, and they can see... Um, you know, the, I guess the road ahead, like if they're in the same field um, and they can see things from that sort of different perspective that, you know, it's really easy to get uh, stuck in the forest and you can't see the individual trees then um, or the other way around, but the mentor can see both uh, because they've been in both. Um, So my mentors, um, you know, the biggest mentor in my life has been Jim Steins. Um, Jim was a huge mentor for me and I was you know, really privileged and lucky to be really, really close with him growing up. Um, And he had a profound impact in my life. Um, At the moment, um, at the moment, the guys I work with are my mentors. Um, You know, I am just constantly amazed um, at their level of insight. And these guys who are late teens, early 20s, but yeah, um, cool. they're the ones that mentor me. Um, and I've got to learn so much from them and get a lot of, lot of guidance from yeah. them. Um, 
but I've, I've been lucky to have some really good mentors in, you know, when I started in strength and conditioning, uh, a guy called Rob Innes, who's now the rehab guy at Richmond. Yep. Um, he was a really good and strong mentor for me. And he's someone who I'll still call up every so often. Um, and, and he's fantastic. Yeah, like, cool. Mentors are hugely, hugely important. And, um, you know, it's one of the things I encourage and work with all my team to do is to get mentors. It's really important that you don't just look at someone that's done it all mm. and you look at your team that you're effectively leading, mm. but you allow them to lead you as well. Mm. That's really important. Yeah, absolutely. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? Um, a lot of people would say, um, you know, Fighting MMA is pretty crazy, but for me, that was just a normal thing. Yeah. Um, the craziest thing I did was strip naked in front of probably about 400 <laughs> drunk women on Grand Final Eve <laughs> a few years ago. As you do. Um, that, was, that was pretty crazy. It was good fun. I was in much better nick than, uh, <laughs> than I'm in now, but um, yeah, that, that was pretty crazy. Um, what, so, led, what led to that happening? Oh look, it was it was for charity, um, but yeah. I was just um, asked to do it and was told like, oh, you, you don't have to um, go full nude or anything like that. And um, in our first like practice, um, all the other guys were like, yeah, so we're gonna go all the way and you know, <laughs> whole kit and caboodle, and it's like, all right, then here we go. Yeah. So yeah, one thing led to another, and uh, next minute. Yeah, that, that happened. <laughs> um, it was terrifying. That's cool. Yeah. What's your... Do you have a mantra? Do you have something you constantly repeat or... Um, if you're going to do it, do it properly. I say that all the time. Yeah. Um, I ask why all the time. Um, they're probably my two. Um, yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah, they're my two. What's your why? My why, um, why I do what I do, why I like to make a difference is because I've experienced the power of someone have, believing in me when they had no reason to. Yeah. And I know that what that can do for someone can be quite profound. So that's why I do what I do. Perfect. If you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? I'd make, I mean, you know, there's a billion ways you could answer this. You could yeah. go like climate change and, um, you know, go really political um, and absolutely both are super, super valid. Mm -hmm. I think my thing would be just to give people to laugh a little bit more. Um, I feel like everyone's pretty angry these days and, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of negativity in the world at the moment yeah. and a lot of... Um, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in issues and make those issues feel like the biggest thing yeah. um, happening and, and people need to remember to laugh and you know, laughter makes people feel good about themselves and if people are feeling good about themselves and you know, the trickle effect from that is huge. So That's not permission to bring the band back together and have another gig. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> if you could have dinner with three people currently alive or passed away, mm -hmm. who would it be and why? Um, Tim Ferriss um, I love um, his books um, but also his podcast is really cool and he just interviews 
really great people and deconstructs how they go about things, what their process is. So he alone is interesting, but then the stories that he'd be able to tell from the conversations he's had would be awesome. So he's one person who could then lead to like huge conversation. Um, He would be one, um, Peter Garrett. Ooh. Um, from Midnight Oil yeah absolutely (laughs) Um, because I think he's fascinating in his story is fascinating going from being a surf rock band to then a political band Mm -hmm. to then giving it up to go into politics um, and then having a shit experience and then going back to the band Um, I just find that really fascinating Um, and then the last person Daniel Day-Lewis. Hey. Yeah. There you go. Um, He's my favourite actor. He's untouchable as an actor, um, but his process is fascinating and uh, the work that he does for a role um, is is incredible. He'll, um, you know, for example, in Gangs of New York, um, his character was a butcher, so he went and did the whole thing and learned how to be a butcher. That's amazing. um, And really, like, throws himself into it. It's an incredible movie too. Yeah, great movie. (laughs) Um, But he's such a good actor and how he becomes, he fully becomes, he's obviously a method actor, but he just becomes that character. And, um, yeah, he's fascinating. When he's not acting, he's a cobbler. Um, genuinely yeah like legit yeah Um, that's amazing and you know he's retiring at the top of his game Um, and so I love that um, idea and would love to know sort of what's informed that idea two part question because we haven't talked about your acting Mm -hmm. at all so what's your what's been your greatest experience as as an actor and what has it taught you about yourself Mm -hmm. um I love the training of acting probably more than I like the experience of actually being on a set. Yeah. Um, you might do a take 40 times um, and each time you're adjusting because the lighting might be slightly out or you know something could happen in the background and you could be completely on. Yeah. Um, but the training's like where the work happens and the trainings where the growth and the learning happens. So I love that. Um, and you know, if I had the funds, I'd do that full time. I love it. It's, um, you know, you, and the thing I love about it is it forces you to be present and you have to be present and you have to be living right on in the moment. Um, and, and that's the thing that I really take from all the training and from acting is the ability to be in the moment. And in acting, it's always about, the other person and responding to them, um, which I think is a great lesson for life is it's about the other person. Um, yeah. And you can read into that a million different ways. If someone's angry, it's not about you. It's about something that's happened for them. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're working with someone, if you're making it about you, then you're not really a team then. Yeah. But if you make it about the other person, then it, it boosts you guys both up. Mm. Um and, and the idea of being present, I think, is, is quite huge. And, you know, we touched on it at the start with yeah. social media, but, um, you know, being present and the effect that that can have on your own mind and then how you operate and go about things is massive. Cool. That's amazing. What's, do you have any morning rituals? Morning ritual, um, I never press snooze. Um, I get up... Um, 
I won't press snooze, but I won't get out of bed straight away. Okay. Um, I'll just lie there and think about what I have to do that day and what I have to achieve and um, what I want to get out of the day. Yep. Um, I'll go, I'll make coffee, long black with a little bit of cinnamon in it, Ooh. then I'll make the bed. Fancy. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> I use an AeroPress, I'm fancy. Um, oh, good. But always a long black, I'll make the bed, and then I'll just go and attack the day. And for me, it's... Um, you know, we, in strength and conditioning, we talk about intent, um, you know, trying to move the weight quickly. For me, the day is about trying to have the right mindset and what's yeah. my intent for the day. Um, cool. You know, having a, you know, a, a predator mindset to go out and attack the day. Yeah, um, rather than being proactive or reactive, reactive and yeah. waiting for everything to happen. Exactly, yeah. you know, it's being offensive instead of defensive for the yeah. day and cool. um, always try and go out and, yeah, make an impact somehow. That's really, really interesting. What's your worst habit? I try and do too many things at once sometimes. Um, so at the moment, I think I've got one, two... So I've got the books that I'm reading at the moment, A Legacy by James Kerr, and then I've got um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I've got... Um, <laughs> Tools of Titans, um, and yeah. I've also got um, Norse mythology. So um, yeah, they're all really similar. Topics. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's, there's a bit of that in there, and um, I think it's one of my like, your gift is your curse, um, and one of my things is that I always have my eyes on the horizon, one eye on the horizon, yeah. um, which means it's hard to be settled and um, in the moment. Um, with life, even though I'm present in moment to moment, yeah, gotcha. but my my circumstances, yeah. um, I always am like, well, what else is there? Is there something else? Uh, always searching, mm. which is good and bad. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's something I'm, I kind of struggle with that wanting to be better and improve and things like that, but also enjoying the process. Mm. Which yeah, I think I'm getting better at. Mm. What's your greatest achievement? My greatest achievement is that I've been able to impact other people to then go on and make a bigger impact than I ever could. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Tell me something very few people know about you. It's a really tough one. Um, you know, in, in the, the work that I do, a lot of it's about having those conversations that generally are you know, hidden away a little bit. So um, I think for me, um, like I'm a pretty emotional guy. Um, that's probably something that, you know, that you wouldn't probably know about me. Um, my favourite movie or one of my favourite movies in my sort of top few is Strictly Ballroom. Genuinely? Genuinely. Love that movie. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's different. Yeah. I kind of want to watch it now. Yeah. Great movie. <laughs> Love it. Great storytelling. Baz Luhrmann's a great director. Yeah. Next two questions are kind of two-parters. Yeah. I, want, I don't want you to overthink it. I want you to mm-hmm. think the first thing that comes into your head. What's the nicest thing you've ever done for someone? Made someone feel good about themselves. What's the nicest thing someone's ever done for you? Exactly the same. Awesome. What's the best piece of advice you've been given?
step into the fire. Oh, good. What's the best piece of advice you have given? At the moment, um, working with someone and talking about the difference between what you want and what you need. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, and getting them to unwrap that. That's, yeah, that's really cool. That's, that could go, go a couple of different ways. Mm, really absolutely, yeah. If you could have a billboard seen by millions of people, what would you put on it? I stole this from Tim Ferriss. Yep. Um, it'd be, I'd have two words on it. Um, breathe and listen. Cool. Last, last few things, a couple of favourites to finish off. Mm-hmm. You've already told me your favourite movie or one of your favourite movies. What's your favourite way to spend a Sunday afternoon? Um, the next Sunday that's coming, um, I'm going to be hanging out with mates and uh, watching the UFC, um, which which I just love hanging out with, you know, with loved ones. Um, yeah. So, you know, whether that's... Um, Shared experience. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes it'll be, you know, having a really nice breakfast with my girlfriend and, um, you know, going to, going to the beach with her or um, if I'm just... In, in Victoria, you know, seeing some family and friends and cool. um, taking the time to read um, and, to, and to do something for myself as well on those days, whether that's the gym or, you know, not have an alarm. Yeah, nice. What's your favourite book? Um, it's called The Fighter's Mind by a guy called Sam Sheridan and I've read it probably four or five times and a lot of people that have the book one book they've read a bunch of times so they keep coming the back corners to of the pages are all folded <laughs> there's so many things underlined and highlighted in there um, and in the book he just goes to different martial artists and and not even martial artists like he uses the term fighters as a broader thing so there's ultra marathon runners and cool. um, you know chess guys and stuff like that in there um and just their process and um, it's just fascinating and why they do what they do. Do all of those, and I haven't read it, but I probably will now, do all those different people have similar philosophies and and whys or do they all have a big variation? Um, One of the common things that comes up, and it's not for everyone, but it's the idea that everyone's fighting something. Um, Some people know what it is, some people don't. Um, So that's one of the things that pops up. in there but then also the the need to push your own sort of boundaries and limits yeah um it's, it's really easy to play it safe and to stay inside your comfort zone yeah but, you know the magic happens when you get outside it's that you know that cliche that gets yeah. said a little bit but it's it's true cliches are cliches for a reason exactly what's your favorite resource for new information the people i work with Good. Mm. I get the same answer. Yeah. Favorite hobby? If you could pick one. One. One hobby. Martial arts. Perfect. Favorite quote? You can't steal second base if you're afraid to get off first. Good. Elite quote. Mate, thank you very much for coming on. No, thanks for having me. Uh, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Do you have any more for everyone listening? No, it's, it's just been a, a really great um, experience and conversation. And um, 
you know, I think, yeah, you're, you're creating a community and um, that's why I was more than happy to, to be on this. Awesome, awesome. How, if people want to learn more about the Reach Foundation and what you guys do, what's the best mm-hmm. way for them to get uh, in touch? Reach.org.au um, or you can find me on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to have a chat and, and stuff here. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Love your work. Cheers. Thanks, Lucky.